welcome to this week's edition of What Did I Just Hear, a follow-along podcast for Trinity UMC's CrossConnect service. Before we can discuss what we heard from the sermon, first we have to hear the sermon. If you have already listened to this week's sermon, please feel free to skip ahead. Otherwise, please enjoy this clip from this Sunday's morning service. All right, y'all. So we are continuing with worship. Thank you. It's like, I even have it. I even have it highlighted on my paper, y'all. I just get so caught up in this. It is time for the children. It is time for the children to go to Kids Connect. You know, if y'all don't know that I'm a failed and flawed human, you are learning it every step of the way as we worship together. So look, our kids are invited. Anyone who's age four to uh, second grade is invited to go to Kids Connect where there is a special time of worship for you, a special time of learning. And uh, we've got some folks in the back who are welcome to take you there. Thank you again. I'm just, I'm ready. Oh, I'm so ready. Okay, so we are journeying through the story. We are journeying through the story. And um, as I have prayed for us today, man, what a journey this is. Um, there, there are uh, parts of this journey, parts of this story have been beautiful and inspiring and powerful. Uh, as I shared with you all last week, um, Last week's chapter was particularly convicting for me, and we talked about that and, and invited you if, if that was something that was part of your journey as well. And in today's chapter, um, I, I will always, if I'm nothing else, I will try to be always honest with y'all. Um, this, this week's chapter left me wrestling so hard. Y'all, I have been, I mean, before we even started this journey officially together, I have been terrified of this week's chapter. I have been praying about it and inviting anyone who would pray for me for this chapter because this week's chapter is a really, really, really hard chapter. It's a really hard place in the scriptures. Um, and, and so again, I, I have been wrestling with this chapter and, and perhaps you have been as well. And we're going to kind of dig into that and, and what's happening here in this. And, and I, I am reminded of kind of something that we talked about earlier in the story um, when, when Jacob's name was cha- changed to Israel, um, which means the one who struggles, who, the one who wrestles with God. Uh, that is our identity as followers of Christ. That is our identity of people of God is that we are ones who wrestle with God to get to the truth, to get to God's ways. And, and so we're diving into the wrestling match today. We are diving into the struggle, um, the, the things that, that this story, the things that, that the, the word of God, the things that life bring up uh, that cause us to, to struggle and that cause us to wrestle. And not just with life, but to struggle and to wrestle with God. So we are Israel today, or at least I am, you know, we, we are, we are Israel today. So uh, just kind of where we are in, in the, in the plot line of the overarching story is that um, the people have been, the, the people of Israel have been delivered from slavery. Uh, they've gone through the Exodus. They made it to the, the cusp of the promised land and, and just didn't have enough faith to, to, to enter in. And so for 40 years, they wandered and they wandered and they wandered through the desert. And so uh, we ended last week where they were once again, the second chance uh, on the cusp of the promised land. And, and will they have the faith to go in? And, and it turns out, that they did. And so when we think about entering to, into the promised land, right, 
um, just kind of the images that we have in our mind or like kind of what we seem like it would feel like to, to enter into this land that the Lord your God is giving you, to enter into the land flowing with milk and honey, you know, th- this promise fulfilled, it feels like it's going to be filled with, with lots of smiling and happiness and everybody's hugging and laughing and, and joy around us, right? That's kind of what we expect when we enter into the promised land. But what we, what we find in this next uh, stretch of the story, which is the book of Joshua in, in our traditional collection of the scripture, um, is, is a story of war. Uh, it's a story of, of God leading Israel into one battle after another, battle after battle after battle. Um, it, it is a land that for a time seems to be flowing more with blood and death than milk and honey. Um, I am reading the story. I'm also listening to it on Audible. Um, and this chapter, uh, instead of being filled with screams, and uh, I mean, instead of being filled with laughter and, and joy, it was filled with, with screams and cries and terror in the background as this, as this, uh, as this story was unfolding. And, and a phrase that stuck with me, that, that haunted me this week, um, in, in preparation for this week, is over and over again, battle after battle ended with the phrase, and they left no survivors. They left no survivors. And so, I mean, and it was again and again, battle after battle, Jericho, uh, they, they go in and, and it says that they devoted everything in the land to the Lord and, and then they destroyed with the sword. Every living thing in it, men, women, young and old, cattle, sheep, and donkeys. In the battle of Ai, it said that Israel cut them down, leaving no survivors, no fugitives. 12,000 men and women fell that day. It goes on to say, like, there's, there's kind of a bunch of lands that all kind of get five kings come together and um, and it said after that, that that Joshua subdued the whole region he left no survivors he totally destroyed all who breathed just as the Lord the God of Israel had commanded the battle of Hazor again everyone in it they put to the sword they totally destroyed them not sparing anyone that breathed. And then kind of at the end, Joshua took all these royal cities and their kings and put them to the sword. He totally destroyed them. All the people they put to the sword until they completely destroyed them, not sparing anyone that breathed. Now, I know I was on repeat a lot, kind of recalling all that, but that's what we heard over and over and over. That's what we read over and over and over again in this week's chapter the book of Joshua. And, and um, again, these are, these are hard passages I, for me. It's hard to read that in the word. It's hard to read that in God's scripture where we talk about love and kindness and, and you know, sharing with your friends. I mean, I'm thinking about all the things that we teach our kids you know, in, in children's church and all that stuff. You know, and, and all the things that we, we talk about and expect of one another. 
When we think about Jesus and the, and the way that he lived and the way that, that we talk about, you know, Jesus teaching us to live, that we are called to be people of peace. We are called to be people of kindness. We are called to be people of generosity. We are called to be people of goodness. And where does this fit? Where did these words fit in the story, in my story, in our story, in God's story? Uh, throughout the story, there have been a couple of other haunting passages that we've kind of glossed over. Um, one that I referenced very briefly, uh, you know, where, where Abraham is called to, to sacrifice Isaac, his son. That was given, and he didn't end up having to do it, but just the process of being asked to do that and going through the motions right there till the end. Um, there, there's been another part where, where um, through the process of of God trying to deliver um, the people of Israel from slavery in Egypt, where. Uh, the, the word says again and again that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And I know in some of our small groups, especially, that has been something that has come up in conversation. And so, like, we have these little, little pockets or an entire book of Joshua, you know, that, that bring up some of the stuff that oh, we kind of try to forget is in the Scripture. The stuff that, like, is really hard to read. The stuff that, that calls into question the character and the nature of God. Because God is the one who's leading all of this. God is the one who is giving them war strategies, how to win, how to destroy them, how to completely annihilate them. They are doing exactly what God has told them to do. And, and again, as people who are like on this side of the New Testament, where Jesus is our focus, where Jesus is the lens in which we live the world and look at everything else, this kind of seems so inconsistent with Jesus. Right? One of the songs that we sang earlier and, and the words of Hebrews 13, 18 say, you know, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So how, how do we reconcile what we see here in, in the Old Testament? What we see here in the book of Joshua, how do we reconcile that with kind of what we see and what we stand on and what we look through in the New Testament through Jesus? How, how do we get those two together? Because again, there seem to be some inconsistencies to put those two in, in, the, same, in the same book, in the same place, in the same uh, position in our heart. Now, I told y'all, this, this has been, I, I've been wrestling with this all the way up to today. Uh, and I'm not going to lie, I'm still wrestling with it just a bit, you know. We're, we're not 100% landed on something today. So I'm sharing the journey. I'm sharing the story with y'all today. Um, this week, I was still, you know, God, what, what do you need to come out of my mouth on Sunday morning? I, I just, I don't know exactly what to say. And, and I was uh, spending time in prayer. Um, and a lot of times I'll use it's an app uh, or a podcast that is called Pray As You Go. And it's just like a you know, 10 to 12 minutes. I think I've told you all about it before. It's like a 10 to 12 minutes, like scripture. And then there's a couple of questions uh, that just kind of center and give some reflection. And then a lot of times I'll just spend the whole day kind of focusing in on, on whatever was brought up in the prayer time that morning. And so uh, one, one day this week, it was Monday or Tuesday, I can't remember. I was, you know, just listening to the scripture, and there was some reflection on um, Romans chapter 3. 
And uh, one of the questions that came up in the reflection after the scripture was uh, grace and righteousness are words that we use a lot um, in the Christian tradition. And is God asking you to look at his grace and his righteousness a little differently today? That was the question. And it was like instantly when, when that question was posed, God said, yes, Carrie, I am. I want you to see my grace and I want you to see my righteousness. And I want you to invite CrossConnect to do the same, to see it a little differently than you have before. Um, which it then, again, sent me back to this, because I knew exactly what God was answering in that moment. God was saying, go back and read this again. And so that's exactly what I did. I uh, went back and read it through again. And, and, and where, where the Lord met me this week and where we are landing today together is um, that what we see here in Joshua, you know, we see that, that God has, has called his people, the people of Israel, he has called them to a life of righteousness, he has called them to a life of, of being God's covenant people. And Pastor Mitchell, a couple of weeks ago, kind of laid out the, the Ten Commandments and, and the law that kind of went along with that, that these were, these were rules, but they were also, it was a gift that God had given, kind of parameters for how, how the people, how we are to live in right relationship with God and how we are to live in right relationship with other people, that when we walk in the law, when we walk in God's ways, when we walk in the commandments, then we are walking in, 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 God's, in God's ways, in God's will. When we are honoring the Lord above all else, when we are worshiping none other than God, when we are not, you know, all, all the things, right, that, that are part of that law, um, we are walking with God in righteousness. We are walking with God in, in faithfulness, and we are walking with God in covenant. What we see here in this is God's justice played out. And again, God's justice is something that, that we don't really talk about a whole lot. It's something that we don't, we don't spend a whole lot of time diving into. But what we see here is that there are those who are walking in righteousness, and there are those who are walking in unrighteousness. And, and what we see, because um, in, in, uh, in last week's chapter, there's a part where, where God says to the people, you know, don't forget that when you finally get to the promised land, don't forget that, that you're getting this because, not because, you know, you're perfect, but you're getting this because I'm giving it to you. And you're getting this because these people are wicked. These people are walking in unrighteousness, essentially, is what God is saying. So, so that's kind of what, what they're told leading into it. And, and so we see God working through those that walk in righteousness and those that walk in unrighteousness. And we see that pre-Jesus. We get to see a picture of what God's justice looks like without what Jesus has done for us on the cross. I'm going to say that one more time, okay? What, what, 
what this chapter, what the book of Joshua shows us is what God's justice looks like without what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Without Jesus' death and sacrifice on the cross. This is what God's justice looks like. The wages of sin is death. And that's the end of the story right here, right? That's what we're seeing. The wages of sin is death. So when we sin here in this part, when we sin, there are consequences, right? That, that's, that's God's justice at work. When we are called to walk faithfully, God's people, God's covenant people are called to observance of God's way, called to obedience to God's will. And I mean, there are some parts in the story where like one dude doesn't do it right. And the whole people lose the next battle because one dude messed up, right? So, so it's a call to complete obedience, to walk every step in God's way and God's will. And what happens when you don't? So, so this is God's justice without Jesus is a picture of what we're seeing here. And, and after, um, after one of the battles, Joshua calls all the people together. He calls the men, he calls the women, he calls the children. He even calls the foreigners who are living in the land that they are in. He calls them all together. And Joshua, this is what it says. Um, it says that, oh gosh, where is it on my page? Um, it says that afterwards, after they finished this battle, Joshua read all the words of the law, the blessings and the curses, just as it was written. There was not a word that Moses had commanded that Joshua did not read to the whole assembly of Israel. Again, including the women and children and the foreigners in the land. Um, and so, again, as they were walking through this, it was like the cadence of their rhythm, the cadence of the promised land was to to make sure that they were walking and doing everything that God had asked them to do, obeying, um, observing all of it. After the battle is over, Joshua is about to die, and he says these words um, to the people. Uh, These can be found in Joshua 23 and 24. They're also on page 100 and 101 in the story. And and this is what Joshua says, kind of as a, they're they're in a time of peace. Again, Joshua's about to die, and, and he leaves these words with the people of Israel. He says, now I'm about to go the way of all the earth. You know with all your heart and soul that not one of all the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has been failed. So again, a a call to the faithfulness of God in the midst of this. But just as all the good things the Lord your God has promised you have come to you, so he will bring on you all the evil things he has threatened until the Lord your God has destroyed you from this good land he has given you. If you violate the covenant of the Lord your God, which he has commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, the Lord's anger will burn against you and you will quickly perish from the good land he has given you. Then Joshua goes on to recall all these actions of God um, 
You know, God, what God did with Abraham, what God did for Isaac, through Isaac, what God did through Jacob, what God did through Moses and, and the Exodus, what God did through Joshua and all these battles that they were led into. Again, all these actions of God. And then he says this, you did not do it with your own sword and bow. And this is God speaking through, through Joshua. So I gave you a land on which you did not toil and cities you did not build. And you live in them and you eat from vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. So now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshiped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable, undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve whether the gods of your ancestors served before beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. And then Joshua says, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. So again, here in this kind of final message that Joshua is giving, remember, God has been faithful. God is faithful. That is who God is. When you do what God asks you to do, God will fulfill God's promises. God will bless you. But when, when, if, you, if you choose to violate the covenant, then curses will come. God's anger and God's wrath will be there. The judgment will come. God's justice will be fulfilled. So, so this, is, this is the message. Um, choose today who you will serve. Will you be obedient to God? Or will you do things your own way? That's what the people are are. Uh, posed with again and again and again and again because God's justice is dependent on that in the book of Joshua, pre-Jesus. The wages of sin is death. Um, And again, that is so important for us to remember. However, I could not read this chapter without Jesus. And I don't think we have to read this chapter without Jesus. Because as I prayed and as I searched and as I talked to God about all of this and and listened to God about all of this, and when God asked me that question through my prayer that morning is, do you need to see God's grace and do you need to see God's righteousness differently? Yes, I did, because I had forgotten the realities of God's justice. I had forgotten the realities of God's righteousness. God is is perfect, and God has ways that are good and right and true. And there are so many times that I will take what Jesus has done for me on the cross I will take the grace and the forgiveness and the help that I am given through the Holy Spirit and I will not honor it. So as I read this and, and as, as, as I, God gave me a new lens to see his righteousness, it humbled me. It humbled me because I had forgotten how much grace covers for me. Because y'all, I don't walk, I don't walk faithfully in the covenant. 
I'm not obedient to everything God asked me to do. I have, I have, like in in my thoughts, in in my feelings, in my words, in my actions, I I don't shine Jesus everywhere I go all the time. Just ask the people that I live with and that I work with, right? I, I don't. There are times I, I am I am broken. I'm living proof of Romans chapter three that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Right here. I don't live faithfully. I don't obey always. I don't observe always the ways of God and the will of God. I mess up, I fail, I fall, I falter. But God's grace through Jesus covers over me and you and all of us. But when I, when I don't see God's justice, when I miss the consequences of my sin, when, when I don't have my eyes on that and I just look at the grace, then the grace is cheapened. The grace doesn't have the same value as it does when I see, when I see God's justice at work, when I see God's righteousness at work, when I see what, what life was like before Jesus in the story. And so today, I'm looking at the cross and I'm looking at the grace that pours over me and you and all of us. And it is oh so sweeter today. Because I see what would be for me without it. So I've, I, I've been humbled. And I am so much more grateful today for grace than I was. I see God's righteousness and God's grace differently today. And for that, I'm thankful. I got to thinking about any, any bowlers do we have any bowlers out here? Anybody? No. Are y'all asleep? Anybody bowl? I mean, just one. Like, is there just one person who likes to bowl? Okay, thank you. Yes. Maybe I just woke you up. I don't know. But we got a couple people. Or maybe you just were kind and raised your hand anyway, right? So, but, but bowling, right? When you go bowling, um, you got the ball and you're, and you're rolling it down. And, and, and the, the goal is you want to get all the pins down, right? I mean, the the the, the the ultimate in bowling is a strike because you knock them all down, right? Um, and that's a really great analogy for when it comes to God's, God's righteousness and God's covenant. The, the goal is, is to get them all right, to, to throw the strike and knock them all down, right? I mean, I was nice today. I answered God's will. I was, you know, I, I helped this person. I sacrificed this. I mean, I knocked them all, all the pins down, Right? I do not get a strike in life. There are some pins that I knock down on some days. And then there are a lot of pins that get left standing. But thanks be to God, there's that, the, the, that grace of, of the, the gutter bumpers. You know what I'm talking about? The gutter guards, those things that like, they'll put up for kids. They won't put them, I don't think they'll put them up for adults. But, but the thing is, Grace is like that, right? When, when, when Jesus and his grace pours upon us, it's like those, those gutter guards get, get put up 
so that when we, when we roll the ball in life, when, when we make our choices, when we speak, when we do those things, you know, sometimes, sometimes we don't get it right. Sometimes we mess it up. And, and God's forgiveness, God's, God's help, God's mercy, God's presence, God's second or four millionth chance is right there alongside us to keep that ball rolling in the right direction. That when we start to go off, God's grace pulls us back. Right? And, and, and what we find here in... Joshua, what we find here in this chapter this week is, is what it was like when, when the gutter guards weren't there. That, you know, sometimes you roll it and maybe you get a strike, but sometimes you just go straight into the gutter. And when those guards weren't there, but the goal still, even when the, even when the guards are there, the second thing that we see is, is that even with the forgiveness, even with the help, even with the mercy, even with the second chances, our goal is to be transformed, is to have more of Jesus every day, to live more into the covenant. To, to, our, our goal is to seek obedience, even with the grace. But now instead of doing it out of fear, to, to get things right out of fear that we don't die, that we do it out of joy, out of just an abundance of gratitude. I am loved this much that Jesus died for me and you. You are loved that much that Jesus died for you. And so now we obey out of love, out of gratitude, instead of obeying out of fear. But the goal is still to seek the strike. The goal is still to seek obedience. I think I've told you all this before, but, but my life verse is Matthew 6, 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. There's just something about that verse that for whatever way that my life is going, I need to hear that verse again and again. And today... I need to hear it. Seek first his righteousness. That my goal each and every day with grace surrounding me is to seek to do what God wants me to do. And to hear the words of Jesus that are kind of echoed in Joshua where Jesus says in Matthew 7 to enter through the narrow gate. For wide the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction and many will enter it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life and only few will find it. I want to find that narrow gate, y'all. I want to find that narrow path. I want to walk step by step, word by word, thought by thought, heart by heart, choice by choice. I want to live it with Jesus. I want to do exactly what he wants me to do. I don't, I'm not there yet, but I, I want that. To seek first his kingdom, to seek first his righteousness, to seek first his way, his will, his law, his covenant. To be humbled and reminded 
that I don't have to live with the consequences in this way, that the wages of sin is not death for me anymore, nor is it for anyone who believes. Now, the, the continuation of that verse is that, that the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. That when we fail and when we falter, grace is, is that gutter guard that guides us back into the path. And so this story reminds us of what the story is without Jesus, but it's not a story that we have to live into anymore. But it's still our call to seek God's righteousness, to seek faithfulness, to seek obedience, to seek to walk in the way that leads to life. I don't know exactly where you were struggling in this piece of the story. Maybe your struggle was a little different than mine. But my prayer today is that how God has guided me through the struggle. My prayer is that it has been helpful to you. It is okay to struggle. It is okay to wrestle with God. It is okay to keep at it and keep at it and keep at it until you get to where you know where God needs you to be, but where I know God is calling me and where God is calling us is to remember the grace of Jesus and to not let that grace be cheap for us, but to remember what it cost and to remember what it covers. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift, the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. His grace not only covers over our sin, but it guides us into obedience. It guides us into faithfulness. It guides us into righteousness. Let us pray. Gracious God, All too often we forget that you are also a God of justice. You are a God who seeks for things to truly be right. To be your way. Because your ways are higher than our ways. And God, when you guide us to, to step left or to turn right, to, to choose this way or to speak that way, God, you know, you know where that choice will lead. Today, in the midst of these hard words of the scripture, we are reminded of your faithfulness. We are reminded of your truth. And we are reminded that when we walk as you guide, when we walk as, as you lead, Lord, we are walking in justice. We are walking in righteousness. 
and that your grace and your mercy help us when we fail and help us when we fall. But your grace and your mercy also transform us to choose rightly, to choose justly. So help us, Lord. Help us not cheapen your grace. Help us not forget that there is a goal. Help us not forget that there is a way. That the choices that we make matter. And that you are calling us to walk step by step in your way. We love you, Jesus. We thank you. We thank you that you love us, that you loved us enough to die on the cross for us, and that you love us enough to stick with us, to guide us into the strike of life. In Jesus' name. Now that you've listened to the sermon, let's dive into this week's episode. Today we're taking on Carrie's October 24th Cross Connect sermon. Uh, based on chapter 7 of the story, the battle begins. Uh, let's get it started with a quick sermon summary from Larry Lowe. Three, two, one, and go. Okay, the Israelites enter the promised land with ideas of good times. Actually, they enter into a period of extreme war and bloodshed, land flowing with bloodshed and death instead of flowing with milk and honey. They have to follow God's lead and conquer the promised land. Nobody's just going to hand it over to them. Many of the battle episodes end with the phrase, and they left no survivors. They destroyed every living thing, men, women, children, livestock, every living thing. This seems to contradict God's character. They were just taught, thou shalt not murder. Most preachers skip over this because it's difficult to see where this fits into the overall storyline. It's difficult to read this part of the God's story. And so we're so used to hearing messages of goodness, kindness, generosity. Pastor Kerry squared the message by contrasting the message in Joshua, the wages of sin is death, with the message in the New Testament, all of us fall short of righteousness, and it's through the grace of Jesus that we're forgiven. The story of Joshua is what God's justice looks like without what Jesus did for us on the cross. Um... If we were to just focus on the New Testament grace, it cheapens it. The two stories together show just how much grace covers us. Uh, I'm not going to finish. I tried. (laughs) Close. That about about three three sentences left. Oh, well. (laughs) Good effort, Larry. We'll we'll circle back to that in a little bit. Um, It's a lot to try and cover. I'll see what I can do uh, if you guys want to count me in. All right. Three, two, one. All right, so started by Carrie saying that this was a really hard place in the scriptures for her, that it was a lot to cover and challenging. Uh, Going through some of the plot, one of the big things that she focused on was, and they left no survivors, and how challenging that can be. The idea of having just talked about thou shalt not murder, and now we're killing not just some people, but everybody. Uh, Then she switches to the question of, are we questioning the character and nature of God? And as people who are familiar with Jesus in the future, that this is a challenging thing to cover of like, well, isn't this inconsistent with some of the other stuff that we've talked about? What does this mean? As we move forward, we talk about God's justice and some of the challenges of what does God's justice mean in this environment versus what does it mean now with Jesus and the grace that we've gotten through Jesus, 
digging even more about what does it mean to be obedient to God and uh, choose your own way, and the wages of sin is death. <laughs> All right, yeah, that's a lot to cover. So uh, we'll get started, and uh, let's circle back to the beginning, and then we'll go from there. So uh, can you guys provide a little bit more on contextually where we're at in the plot of what's going on here? So this is the first chapter in the story that takes place outside of the Pentateuch. Pentateuch, because Patrick's going to ask me, uh, is the first five books of the Bible, penta meaning five, tuke meaning books. Um, the first five books of the Bible were all written by Moses. This is, this is from the book of Joshua, um, and it tells the story of Joshua. Um, and he, he's essentially leading the armies of the 12 tribes of Israel against the people who are occupying the, the promised land um, so that they can take over the promised land because it's promised, promised. to them. <laughs> it's, you know. um, Joseph, or not Joseph, Joshua has, has taken this role over from Moses and Aaron um, because God made sure that they were not allowed to come into the promised land and, and actually he gave Moses a vision of the promised land and told him, here, go sit on this cliff and look at what you can't see and then, then I'm going to make Joshua in charge and then you'll die. And then Joshua can actually reap the rewards and for... Joshua, when he, he can reap the rewards of you leading these people through the desert for 40 years. But the, the process of once he leads them into the promised land, it's not just milk and honey. Um, I think there was a it's not just flowing with milk and honey, it's flowing with blood and death, or a statement, something along those lines. So, yeah, so what's going on there? Blo blood and war, I think is what she said. Okay, so blood and war instead of milk and honey. Yep. And so that's because there's a lot of people who are already living mm -hmm. there, and they're having to fight to take the land back, right? Is that what's going on here? Yes. And I think it's also important, uh, if you didn't listen to the uh, podcast before this, to recognize that, again, Joshua was one of the original people who went into the Promised Land 40 years earlier and had been one of two people who said that we can win, we can take this land. So I think that's important just from the last podcast to note that. Also thinking from like a leadership standpoint, like who else would you want to be your leader other than somebody who A, has been here before and has looked around and B, thinks that you can win? You don't really want somebody leading you who either hasn't been there or did go and say, no, we can't win. So, And he was faithful from the beginning, yes. saying, this is our promised land. We are supposed to be here. We should go. Yep. And being one of the only people to do so, it does make sense. Yep. He was, he was faithful. And that's one of the things that we've talked about in the last podcast and this one is people who are faithful to God reap rewards. So why, why is all of this hard? Um, what is so hard about this segment of the, the chapter? I'm just going to ask the question with the nose on the head. Um, what makes this chapter so difficult for people today? I'm going to back up real, real quick. It's interesting that Moses faithfully led. You, know, you just said that you reap the rewards if you're faithful, but he, he didn't get to see any of it. And to me, it kind of, kind of shuts down this idea of prosperity gospel that you, you know, just because you follow, you get good things. Look at Moses. You know, he, he had to deal with the stress of leading these people for 40 years in a harsh, harsh environment and then he didn't even get to see the promised land. You know, sometimes it, with your faith, you're going to get some. Some of the Christians got eaten by lions. You know, I mean, it, it, we're just not guaranteed um, anything prosperity out of out of all this. You know, well, we kind of skipped over at the end of the last episode 
why Moses didn't get to come into the promised land, and that is because God told him to bring forth water by calling on a rock. And instead of calling on the rock, he smashed it with a stick. And God was like, that's not what For, Right, 40 years of leading all these people, and you used the... You, you hit that rock with a stick, now you're not allowed in the promised land. <laughs> you you so, screwed up. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's the level of faithfulness that I suppose is expected for the people who are entering the promised land. But I, that's, so, that's another thing that's hard to square, though, because all of the people who are going in complain way more than Moses, way more than Moses. And then he gets left out and dies because he hit a, a rock with a stick. I guess actions speak louder than words. <laughs> Maybe so. Instead of uh, doing the action of calling on the rock. Oh, so did you he, mean that as a pun? <laughs> He uh, hit the rock with a stone as opposed to uh, the people just complaining. Yep. Uh, it's a bit of a stretch, but it sounds good. But it, but it does link the concepts as well, is that we just, that this, this flies in the face of what we think God's character is. Yeah. You know, is, is, is that, you know, from that episode that, that Tyler just described all the way to um, um, go conquer this land. You know, thou shalt not murder, but here they are. You got to go kill every single living thing that's right. in the land. And how that's not like, we were Laura and I were sitting there talking about that. And we were just like, "You, you literally have ten commandments. right? You spent a whole do not kill. Right. before this whole thing. You spent one whole year going over these ten commandments. One of them is definitely do not kill or do not murder. And then everybody is killed and murdered. I know. It, it almost seems like there's a whole group of people that are fodder that God uses to advance his story. So, I mean, if, if he knows everybody, what about the people that are just going about their business in, the, in this promised land, <laughs> just living a life, farming away, and all of a sudden these mean Israelites come from out of nowhere and just slay you down? <laughs> just imagine you're 20 years old when the people, uh, the Israelites come into the promised land. You were born during that 40-year period while the Israelites were out. You know nothing. You were just born here. You're just farming your land, and then now you're being attacked, and you're a soldier suddenly having to defend your land. That's such a weird thing to think about and a hard perspective to really take. And it's not even just 20 years here. Like They were here while the Israelites were in Egypt. So we're talking generation after generation after generation, right, hundreds of years, and then these people just come over and start you know, slaying everybody. And according to God's plan, uh, right? According to God's plan. But if you're one of the people living there, you think these are the bad guys who are coming to attack me. Right. You don't even you don't even believe in this specific God, so so you've never even heard the story, most likely. Right. You can't know what the plan is if you don't know that that God exists. Right. And it, it, this is a almost 100 percent like you hear like everybody hears whenever they go to college. History is written by the winners. This is like 100 percent history is written by the winners because there was nobody else to tell another side of the story after they were finished. That, that happens when you take no prisoners. Right. That, yeah, you get to really write the story. And they left no survivors. But but think if you if you are the nation and you're trying to live as covenant people, I mean, what a, what a purify. I mean, it's not. I'm not saying this is justifying it or good. But <laughs> but you want to you want to purify a line of thought. This is one way to purify a line of thought. You know, and if that's according <laughs> to God's will, then then maybe you've got to eradicate other lines of thought. Really, it sucks to be in a different line of thought. Yeah, that's, that's why God told them not to leave survivors, right? Is because he wanted to make sure that all of the people who dissented, were not, they weren't there anymore. He wanted to make sure that this, this land was filled only with chosen people. So, it was very successful. Absolutely.
So I think we've hit on why this is hard for Carrie, why it's hard for us. She mentioned a reference to another podcast that she's listened to uh, where it challenged her to think of it as God asking to look at his grace and righteousness a little differently. So maybe let's get into that a little bit. What's she mean by grace? What's she mean by righteousness? And then what's the new perspective? So let's start with just uh, what is grace in this context? I don't know about in this context. Well, the, start with I think let's start with righteousness. Yeah, righteousness. Right, I got that one. Yeah, so so go go. What, right, so the righteousness she's talking about, like the, this is like a world without Jesus, basically, where it's like there's justification for you know not following the rules and follow, like you. There is a response that has to happen. You know, God's justice has to be served, and this is the way it's like. I I promised you this land. These these people are on this land, and you know. The only way we can justify this is something you can't both occupy the same space. So this this is justification um, for me letting you go and and kill all these people, and that they are not following the rules that you know I want you know the world to go by. You are you've been you know semi faithful, and that's justification for going in and taking the land that is rightfully yours. It is rightfully your land. I think that's a key point that. In theory, these people were not following the rules of God's law. Right. So we don't really see it from their perspective as much, but they were probably not following the Ten Commandments and were not living the way that God wanted the world to mm-hmm. be. And so that is some of the righteousness behind it is these are the righteous people trying to come and take and live life the right way. And unfortunately for them, whether they know it or not, they are on land that from the Israelite view, it, it is not their land. You are you are foreign invaders, despite the fact that we weren't here to defend it. So God, God's justice, then um, r- righteousness would be following the covenant laws, and God's justice then is you know Kerry Kerry summed it up with the phrase the wages of sin is death, and that's kind of the 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 mo that God operates on with the Israelites right here. Follow the rules. If you don't follow the rules, the wages of sin is death. Like Tyler just said with Moses. With Moses, and there was another example of one of the battles they had to lead, where he uh, God commanded kill every single man, woman, child, and all the livestock. And uh, one of the leaders said, "You know what? These sheep over here look awfully nice. I'm not going to kill them. I'm going to bring them back to Israel." Well, then the Israelites ended up losing the next battle, and all of them were slain and dead because they didn't follow the one thing that God said. So the righteousness was evenly dealt, right? As, as long as you didn't right. follow the rules, right? So then that gets to the flip side then, I guess, which is grace. Which was the next question. So uh, what do we mean by grace in this context? In this context, there's not a whole lot of grace. I think the reason that that Carrie brought it up is to say um, grace is is God's forgiveness, right? So So just real quick, that was the point of my, uh, what I wanted to put a point on is she's at, when I say in this context, I mean what Carrie's referencing with grace. Yeah. And so at this time, there's not really a whole lot of grace, but there's a reason that she's bringing that up. So what's the reason that she's mentioning grace as this part of her sermon? The reason that she's mentioning grace here is that we sometimes forget as Christians, meaning people who believe in Christ, that, um, that we don't have to pay this price for our sins anymore because the price has already been paid by Jesus. So So if I do something wrong, I don't expect to be slain the next day? Correct, because you exist in a post-Jesus world where this story takes place in a pre-Jesus world where, as Larry said, the wages for sin are death. 
And, and a lot of people today that want to exist just in the gray side of the story of the New Testament, it, it tends to get cheapened and it te- 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 seems to get thrown around a good bit. And when you compare and contrast with what's going on pre-Jesus dying on a cross, you see what they had to deal with. You know, God's justice is actually death if you don't follow the rules. But through Jesus, we're, you know, we're completely wrapped in that cloak of grace of him dying on the cross, and we don't have to bear the wages of sin or death. And it's easy to forget that, I think, especially so long later that we, Jesus paid that price for us a long time ago, so we don't have stories from a grandparent or something like that, or it's not as closely relevant to be able to relate to, hey, you do something wrong, and that's it. Right. The wages of sin are death. So now being in a different context, it, sometimes it's a little bit harder to really appreciate the gravity of all that, I think. What, I say, which, which is interesting, like, and I really like that thought process, and Carrie does talk about that a fair amount, but again, for me, like, it doesn't necessarily pass the smell test and that like we have plenty of examples earlier where people did things that god said don't do and the wages of sin was not necessarily death it, i mean like moses didn't get to go into the he didn't strike the rock or he struck the rock instead of talking to it he didn't die immediately and gets you know killed by the sword he died later and i mean if you want to say died later everybody dies everybody nobody nobody in the old testament makes it through except elijah he's the only one who makes it through the story um, and I always think about going more from the slightly heretical idea of like, so you've got, there's a big difference between Joshua and, um, the other five books as Tyler talked about earlier. So you have a new author now at this point. And so I always wonder if, you know, because as a human being, I have to f- look at these ideas of like, I believe in this type of God. And then this is the story of what happened. How do I put these two together? How do I, you know, have a God that is graceful in that? And the only thing I can come up with is similar to like, Carrie was talking earlier in her sermon, if you listen to it, where she says, and God told me that this is what I was supposed to talk about today. It's like, so is, and I don't think that she literally meant that God said, okay, Carrie, you were going to teach on this. I think that God, Joshua's in a situation here. He says, okay, this is the promised land. I feel that I'm being called to go into the promised land and take it. The only way that I take this land is by the sword. None of these people are going to, like, if I walk up to the people at Jericho and say, Hey, BT Dubs, you're in my space. God gave it to me. They're not going to give it to you. You're in my spot. Right, right. You're in my. This isn't a Sheldon situation. You don't. People don't just move because you tell them to. So your point is that you don't know that God necessarily told Joshua word for word, "Go kill everybody," but He moved him to, "Hey, I need to go take this space." The only, and then Joshua said, like, the only is, way I'm going to do this is by killing it. Right. And if you leave survivors per, you know, kind of what Larry had said earlier, they're going to get together and they're going to come back and get you or, you know, something, some way, somehow, unless you really decisively win these battles, you're one nation against, you know, they talk about at least how many, seven or eight other cities. Yeah. Eight cities that they take down. If any of them get together and decide to go against you, like if all eight of them do, you're going to lose. And so the only way you can justify God has called me to do this is to, is to do it. So, so Carrie's approach in the sermon was to use, you know, kind of fast forward and bring something back to do a compare and contrast, which, which to me, that's yeah, perfectly reasonable, I think. You know, but part of my thought process was Jewish community doesn't have the New, the New Testament. How does the Jewish community view mm-hmm. this part of the God arc uh, storyline? You know, w- without that redeeming Jesus Christ's death on a cross, you know, compare and contrast— 
what did the what does the Jewish community believe? I, yeah, I don't know. And, and we probably question. can't answer that because none of us are Jewish. But yeah, obviously we can't answer it from the Jewish perspective. But there is actually one instance of grace in this story that was it was skipped over in the sermon intentionally uh, because it helps drive home that point of everybody got got killed. But there actually were some survivors right at the very beginning before they even sacked the first city. Um, Joshua sent some spies in to scout out the first city that they were that they were going after, and the two spies were helped out by a prostitute named Rahab. And as as a reward for her helping out the spies, God said, "It's okay. You don't have to kill her and her family." And so, you know, there were I think it was supposed to be her and her children, and then like some extended family got added on, and God was mad that the extended family was kept alive, but. There was grace given to the the woman who helped his people in their conquest of this of this land. So you're you're talking some about the the grace um, that's given, and so I do think uh, you know this is a, that's a good example of where this has occurred in this story. But most of the story is talking about almost a little more cut and dry, or at least within the context of the sermon, the cut and dry. Um, pretty much everyone died. So, but she did do these references that I think we've continued to um, reference of Jesus and grace and the forgiveness. Um, and so I think that's somewhat just like spoilers for what we're going to get to later on in the story. Um, but I do think that with that perspective, we have a very different view of it. So Larry mentioned Jewish communities that don't have that. If you're studying this, you may look at it very much as a mean, harsh God who's just wiping out people, which to some extent is true in this story. Um, But for us, I think it gives us a different perspective of, well, it gives more weight to that grace and what Jesus did for us that we're going to talk about some more in the future. Right. I, I, I mean, if you look at the way the Bible was actually put together, um, you know, God didn't hand it down to us in the form that it is now. I mean, it was it was well after uh, Jesus that um, um, I, mean, I, f- I forget what the um, the grouping of people when they got together to say we're going to canonize the Bible and put it Council together. Council of Nicaea, the right? Council of Nicaea, I believe that they're going to canonize the Bible. So they're the ones who sorted through and put different books together and letters together and this. And so I, I don't think it was meant to be read as a chronological uh, narrative novel. You know, so pulling and jumping back and forth, as messy as it is, I think it's necessary. And so... I definitely think there's a reason for it. But I do enjoy this version going through the story just because it's a different perspective and it helps you understand where things fit in. And so part of that, moving forward with time, I want to move forward with towards the end of the uh, sermon and the end of the story for this chapter as Joseph was getting old. Some of the things that he he passed on. Joshua. Joshua. Thank you. I don't have the specific quote written down, but Joshua is the one who is attributed with the the saying, as for me and my house, I will serve, we will serve the Lord. And that's, that's the example of the faithfulness that we were talking about earlier. Um, it's the reason that he was put in charge, and it's the reason that, um, that God chose him to be the one that led the armies and conquered the, the land for his people because he was the most faithful of all of the, 
of all the leaders at that time. Yeah, I think that's that's a perfect reference because that's really what I think Kerry focused on here. And there were two things that kind of follow out of that logically. Uh, one of them was kind of the thought of if you choose to violate the covenant with God, then curses will come. So it may be good to uh, circle back and remind people what covenant we're talking about and what curses. We talked some about those, both of those in previous um, previous podcasts. And then also, Carrie asked the question to us, I think, will you be obedient to God or choose your own way? Um, so first off, can someone help remind what we're talking about with the word covenant, what that word even means, and then in the context here of what is being referenced? I mean, just a covenant just is a promise at this point, and then I mean, through the last two podcasts, the biggest covenant has been the covenant to, you know, God says, I will give you this land that's promised. Um, and then the covenants of, I guess, giving, you know, I will give you rules, I will give you law. Um, and then he, he gives them the Ten Commandments, and he's, you know, I've brought you out here, I will give you food, I will give you water. Um, and, I mean, one of the, you know, tying everything together is that God keeps his promises. I mean, throughout... What we see all these things that we see as you know con- contradictory about God and how He acts, but if you look through like every, there hasn't been one instance where He said He would do something and He didn't do it. That's like the one like of all the things that seem counterintuitive to us, like well, why does He say this and this happens? The one thing that is consistent throughout almost all of these stories to this point is if God said it would happen or He would do it, it happened or He did it. So we spend a lot of time trying to understand what's going on or why did God do this. But the point there is, at the end of the day, if God said X will happen, X did happen. Right. That's right. It's almost like a contractual relationship with God. You know, a... Yeah, we often translate covenant as promise, but I've also heard it translated as a contractual agreement uh, in other contexts or similar uh, views of this. So I always find that very interesting. Um, so then let's also talk about the curses, just as a reminder um, what are some of the curses that have come to people when they have, particularly Israelites, when they have not followed um, exactly what God wanted? Snakes. <laughs> okay, snakes. Snakes. Um, the, didn't the column of smoke and fire rain down um, flaming rocks or something on their camp at one point? Probably. Um, I remember it specifically. Meat coming out of their nostrils. Yep, that right. was the poison meat. Right. Yeah. Are there things with too many bugs, maybe locusts? Sure. Yeah, there are yeah, bug uh, issues. I for think sure. there were worms in the manna because they were they com- they picked too much manna and tried to save it up, and God told them not to save the manna. Right. They were just supposed to eat it fresh. So um, basically, any manner of things went wrong. Yeah. And it's just don't if I promise it, it will happen. If I say don't do something, don't do that. Thing. I think the reason that the punishment wasn't immediately death the whole time that they were in the desert was because they had that covenant that said, I'm going to get you to the promised land. So like, yes, they were going against God, and yes, the punishment for sin is death at this point, but because he had a contractual obligation, so to speak, he for, forewent that that conclusion of, to, to their sins. I think that's a really interesting point because of the idea of the wages of sin is death, mm-hmm. but that not necessarily applying there or feeling like it didn't. But then you also think about, well, that 40-year gap for people not getting in, where they went, found the promised land, and then they had to basically wait 40 years. In many ways, those, a lot of those people were getting their wages, 
of their sinful way. They were getting their death. Yeah, just Maybe it was slow th- and 30 painful. years later, but the people who were sinful were not getting into the promised land. So they were still getting the wages of their sin, but they were also allowing God to fulfill his promise by... So he couldn't kill them all at people. once because then there wouldn't be any new people to take into the land. Well, the golden calf, he would have just taken them all out right there. <laughs> yeah. The story would have ended after a... <laughs> Which is a good point, though. It's like, okay, like, but I, he couldn't kill all of them because he said, you will take the promised land. If I kill all of them right now, there's nobody to take the promised land. So they can't be instant death <laughs> or else I can't keep my promise. And I think that's a very good point with we often don't see the path. It feels like we're going in the wrong direction. This isn't the right thing. Why is this happening? But... God may have a longer-term plan, and that we may eventually get the result. People may eventually die, but it may not happen in the timelines that we're expecting. So the thing that Carrie brought up that she brought back to this story from the New Testament was was the grace of God in a post-Jesus world. But sitting here thinking about that, there's a lot more parallels um, that weren't mentioned um, between what's happening here and what happens during Jesus's... um, three years of, of ministry. Um, obviously, Joshua, Yeshua, Jesus, it's the same name. Um, you know, there's 12 tribes of, of Egypt, or 12 tribes of Israel that are taking over the promised land, and there's 12 apostles helping Jesus convert people to Christianity. Uh, the prostitute Rahab helps out Joshua. The prostitute Mary Magdalene helps out Jesus. There's, there's a lot of parallels. Really, the only thing that's changing is the methodology behind the conquering. In in the Old Testament here in the book of Joshua, it's all about by the sword, by the sword, by the sword. In the New Testament, it's all about, you know, by faith and by belief and forgiveness. Know, forgiveness. Right. And right. it's it's interesting how how frequently things in the New Testament reach back to the Old Testament and just, you know, it's it's a gentler version of the same thing which is exactly what this, you know, treating people with grace instead of killing them for their sins is. Well, it's also kind of, again, we go back to like the idea of like this learning or this change. It's just like, well, we learned that, you know, getting our ideology and we, you know, you kind of learn this like throughout history with all the empires, killing people by the sword will only get your ideology so far. And then, you know, obviously they don't want your ideology anymore after you've killed everybody else. However, Christianity and even, you know, Buddhism, um, Hinduism, um, all the different major religions that have really grown have kind of grown almost underneath the political war system. You know, like being a Christian transcends being an American or being, you know, um, somebody on the northern continent or, you know, North America. It's You can be a Christian and be all over the place. And that's kind of how Christianity took advantage of, you know, Killing a bunch of people by the sword didn't make anybody else, you know, praise God versus, you know, sharing God's love and faith with people brought more people to God. Yeah, that's, I mean, part of the reason that they killed everybody is so that there wouldn't be uprisings, right? And yep. the that's what happens when you kill people by the sword, but you leave people. Now, the, the, greatest, um, the greatest empire in human history by geographic land area is the Mongol Empire, right? So Genghis Khan, he was smart. He knew that if you kill everybody, then there wouldn't be anybody to populate your giant empire. But he also knew that if you left survivors, they would be unhappy that you took over their land. So what he did was he essentially rode into town and offered ultimatums. You can accept that I'm your leader now, and I'm going to install this governor, and then you can just go about your lives. Or 
I can kill everybody. And, you know, it was about a 50-50 response. Sometimes he had to kill everybody, but other times everybody just went on with their lives and there was just a guy in a house in that town that was, like, installed by Genghis Khan. So I think that that's... We're on one side of this in this this Joshua story, right? He's he's taking the kill everybody approach, but it's okay because he doesn't care that there's nobody to populate the empire. They are the empire. Another flip of this that I think is interesting is looking at it of God's interaction with Christians of like, you can take the harsh approach and kill everybody, or you can take the loving, inviting approach of sacrificing Jesus for people's sins. And the killing people for not following the rules gets some people to follow the rules and understand the rules, but it doesn't exactly make people necessarily want to follow those rules. And so almost to your analogy earlier of like, is God learning? But it may also just be people have to go through a series of things to really get to where they fully understand what's going on, that you can take the hard road and you can take the sword and kill Christians who don't follow the rules or you can um, go more to the loving forgiveness path of Jesus for Jesus's sacrifice, forgiving us for our sins. Yeah, forced forced compliance versus actually choosing compliance, which right. I think as soon as you choose it, it, it actually solidifies it more in your heart, and that's that's the driving force as opposed to forced. Right. Compliance. And Jesus, very important point. Jesus never says to use the sword. He says if you use the sword, you'll die by the sword. Literally, um, was what he said, and. I was trying to think of uh, some other points, but that, those were the big ones as far as don't don't use the sword to kill everybody. Oh, that was it. The big one was that don't forget in this story of you know, all these people who are being killed, unless you have a direct um, lineage to the Hebrew people, you're the people who are being killed, like your ancestors. Like we, unless you were of the Hebrew descent, that was everybody. So don't you know. So, so thank God for grace. Right, exactly. So thank God for grace because if it was, if this was the way that God wanted to continue to spread His, you know, rule over the nations, none of us would be here. So I think as we wrap up, um, one of Carrie's last points tied very well with what Will and Larry were saying. Uh, she was saying the goal is to seek obedience, not out of fear, but out of joy and love and gratitude. And I, I think that really ties it all together pretty well. Um, so with that. Um, what did I just hear is a Trinity UMC podcast and you heard it here. So we'll let Carrie close us out with a closing prayer. All right, Cross Connect. We had a tough word today, but we also had a hopeful word today. God's justice is real. He calls us to obedience and righteousness, but also grace. Grace pours down to guide us and lead us and help us along the way. So may we go seeking God's righteousness every day in every moment with every choice. And may we know that when we fall, when we fail, Jesus will be there to guide us into the future. Go in peace. Amen.